go under events, you'll find the verses uh, for today. But we started way back uh, and, and looked at this idea that you're a disciple, and then what we really want you to become is a discipler. But between that, we talked about the power of having the significance of God's word, of being someone who is a servant, of having a, a prayer life, and then a life that is sacrificial. Because the idea is, yes, you're a disciple, but we want you to be a discipler, but wh- how do you get supported in that? And so here we are in this, in this home stretch, and we're getting to this idea of discipler. And you're noticing, Jeff, there's a huge rock on the stage. Yes, there is. Uh, we want to thank Brett Hall. Brett, obviously, with his art. So Brett, step in here. Just all of his artwork. By the way, that, that, that is not a real rock. That is a created rock, but you need to think of it as a real rock. Does that make sense? All right. Good job, Brett. This will all become really apparent when we get to our last part of this section. And we want you to be here for that because I think we're going to be able to, uh, to uh, illustrate something pretty powerful using what you see here. But what we've been trying to get to is this idea that you're to be a discipler. And so two weeks ago, I took us through basically doing a, a kind of a recap of all of what we've done for the last uh, 30 weeks Tim last week talked about these people that God has put into our lives, these people in our inner circle that God is telling us to, to identify and understand that they are our mission field. And today, okay, so we have these people in our lives. What are we to do with them? And today, my message is called to live. And hopefully, by the time I get done, you will have something that, that you will be able to hold on to, this idea of what does it mean to live Uh, with the people in our lives. So to get started, I want to go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. I dealt with these passages, by the way, when we were in our kingdom series, but I want to come back to them because I think it it sets the tone for where we want to be. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, it says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. But the concept is, is that you are the salt of the earth. Salt has an effect. We know that. If you have not enough salt, it has an effect. And if there's too much salt, it has an effect. Uh, the idea of it is, is that salt, though, is noticeable. Amen? You notice salt. Salt has in it a sense that changes the very nature of something. For some of you, it's like, man, if, if you don't have salt on it, you won't even eat it, right? Salt has that power over you. Salt has that significance. Then it goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. But the point is, you are the light of the world. A light is not to be ignored. Darkness doesn't overpower light. Light always overpowers darkness. And again, we talked about this idea that a light is something that draws people, that, that says there's something you should look at. A light, hopefully a light keeps you from stumping your toe in the middle of the night. But, but in this idea is that both of these, salt and light, you are to be noticed. Let me just be honest with you. A lot of times in our faith, we come to, to Christ, and if we're really, really honest, we don't want to be noticed. The reason why we don't want to be noticed is that we tell ourselves that I'm not the best representation of who a Christian is. Please don't look at me. Uh, I'll fail you, or I don't know the right answers, or I don't know how to answer your questions, or um, I'd be embarrassed to tell you all the different things. And so what we do is, is that yes, we go to church and it's a part of our life, but it's not a dominant part of who we are. And yet, God calls you to be salt and light. Who you are should affect people, but we take ourselves out of the game We minimalize our relationship with Christ 
Because we don't want people to be looking at us. We don't want people to notice us because either, again, we don't feel like we want to impose our faith on somebody else or or we don't want to be the person that answers questions because, again, in our minds, we don't have the answers. But God says, you are to be light. Look what it says. Nor do people land a lamp and put it lamp sorry light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all that is in the house. That is the purpose of light: to be seen, to be noticed, to be experienced. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine. And for again, for some of us, it's like I. Yeah, if somebody asks me, I'll tell them I go to church, but I don't want them to see this. And yet there's something about what's happening in us that people need to see. I'll get into that more in just a second. But again, we're starting this out that God says you're to be salt and to light. So let's go to the next part. Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. We can do a whole sermon on that, but we're going to skip through that section right here because we're getting to this. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That is a big passage to unpack. So let's start walking through it. So the first thing it says is, is that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Remember that I told you that's your best title you will ever get is child of God. And so therefore, how I do live does matter. Blameless and innocent. There should be something different about me. The world should have to look at me differently. Blameless and innocent children of God, look at this, in the midst. In the midst. That means you're in the mix. You're rubbing shoulders. You're in that spot, listen, of a crooked and twisted generation. Please know that Satan is twisting our generations in any way that he can. And we watch what's going on in our society and we see so much going on and yet we're supposed to be in the midst of that. Listen, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Here we are again, being that light. So in this twisted and crooked generation... I'm in the midst of them, and I'm shining as a light through, by the way, being innocent and blameless. We should be different from the world. The world should see us and say, there's something unique about you. We should be noticed. I've used this illustration a ton of times. Jody and I on our honeymoon went on a cruise. And I remember the sensation. We were out in the Gulf. We went on that side over there. And when we got away from land, there was this moment. I knew mentally that we were moving, but because everything just looks the same, the water all looks the same, you don't get the sensation that you're moving. Does it make sense? You know you are, but you don't get the sensation. You can kind of like, okay, I get the breeze. We are, but visually you're not until you get close enough to land and you see maybe a rock crop out of the water. And when that rock crops out of the water, you notice how quickly you're moving. Does that make sense? That stationary rock tells you, because you have a focal point, goes, oh, this is how quickly that you're moving. That is an illustration of what we should be in this world. We should be these rocks to these people who are moving away from God to say, look how quickly you are moving away from truth, moving away from where you should be. 
We stand firm. We don't move. They are moving, but we make them notice that they're moving. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We are to be exposed. We are to say, look at me. And that is scary for us. Because again, I am human. I am going to make mistakes. I am going to blow it. But God goes, but I need you to keep getting up and saying, look at me. Because people need to have life. Let me say this to you. Rarely, 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 rarely does someone come to Christ because of a powerful message that someone preaches. Most of the time, people come to Christ because of a powerful testimony in their life and the person who loves them. Because you are that rock that shits, and so they go, what is about you? What is it about you? Look what it says here. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Holding fast to the word of life. This is what it's saying. It's not about you. You're going to get the word of life. The word of life becomes truth. That truth is what you hold up. You are holding up the word of life. You are holding up truth. It's not about your truth. It's about his truth. It's not about your way. It's about his way. What we do as his light is we reflect his light, not our light. But I still need to reflect that light. I still need to be in that darkness. But I'm getting the power through the word of life. 1 Peter 2.12 Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That they may see your good deeds. So let me tell you this. This is us realizing that the world is watching us. You may be the only Christ people ever see. That you have said, people, I follow Christ. Christ, I am a sojourner. I'm a part of his kingdom. And then what they do is they're going to watch your life. But it is in your good deeds, what it says, and they may see your good deeds, they glorify God. It is intriguing to me that we don't understand the importance of what it means as we go to work. And please, I'm not trying to pick on you. You need to know I need this message as much as you do. But we can pop up out of bed and go, I got things to do at work today. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to pick up the dry cleaning. I got to make sure I go to the store. I got to do all these things. But how do we come into our jobs, into our schools, into our neighborhood, into our meetings? How do we come on going, let people see me and let me be different. Let me be that salt. Let me be that light that people have to interact with or at least be, be in, in response to. There's a reason why God says to put on the full armor of God. Here's, what I, here's the illustration I use to kind of help me to get this. I think we get up and we go through and not realizing how hard it is to be his ambassadors. How hard it is to be someone who is reflecting his glory. If I was on the battlefield, in an active battlefield, I'm sleeping in my trench, I wake up, the first thing I don't do in an active battlefield is just pop up, run over to a stream and wash my face. 
I wake up and I go, hey, what's the situation? And I talk to the people around me and say, what's the situation? Is there a sniper? Are we safe? What's going on? And literally, I am aware, if my life is on the line, I don't just pop up and do whatever I want. I am aware that I'm on the battlefield and I need to look around and be strategic how I act. Why, as Christians, do we not understand we're on a battlefield and as we wake up, how am I going to come into my office? How am I going to come into my school classroom? How am I going to come into these places? How do we become passionate about those things? Heard a story of a senior, by the way, first service didn't get this. A story of a senior in high school. This is last year, he goes, this was his attitude. He goes, the government makes me go to school, the government pays for me to go to school, and the government's going to pay for me to witness to my friends in my senior class. So what he did was, is that he would get into his classes, he would sit next to someone, and he would win someone to Christ. As soon as he won them to Christ, he would say, please ask the teacher to be moved. Why did he ask that? Because then he would get another person to sit next to him that he could share the gospel with. And as soon as he got that person to come to Christ, he would go, ask the teacher to be moved. Why? So another person would have to sit next to him. What was his attitude as he did that was, this is my mission field. And if they're going to have me be here, I'm going to take every opportunity to share gospel with anybody that will listen to me. But as soon as someone he won to Christ, he goes, get out, get somebody else in here. His heart was, how do I go after lost people? How do we come into this place that they see how we act and what we do so that God is glorified? We live among them. First Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. But even if you are to suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. When uh, some of you can remember as a kid, or if you're a parent, one of the things you end up saying, a kid, your kid or even you would say, life's not fair. Your parent would say what? Life's not fair. Right? That's not, I'm sorry, I messed that whole thing up. Act like it, roll back. They would come in and say, this is not fair. And the parent's response is, wow, that worked really good for service. Anyway, so, but you guys remember that concept? Can I tell you something that I found out? Most of my issues as an adult is still on this issue that life is not fair. I just don't have anybody telling me that it's not. I still get angry. I still get frustrated. That's not fair. That's not fair. So when we get in this, it says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, wait a minute, that's not fair. God goes, I know. You will be blessed. Because you think, if we think the life is about fairness, we miss it. It's about opportunities for people to watch us deal with the unfairness of life. Let me say that to you again. It's very profound that you hear this. Life is not about finding fairness. Life is about having people watch us deal with the unfairness of life. Because how we deal with the unfairness of life, by the way, speaks to them. I'll prove it to you in the next passage. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Watch this. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it in gentleness and respect. This middle section here um, is important. There's two truths in this one sentence. One truth is very obvious. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, meaning that if someone comes to you and goes, why do you have this hope in Jesus? You should be able to answer that question. 
By the way, in Rooted, we have you practice that. We have you say, no, this is what happened. This is who I was. This is where the gospel came. And this is now how I live. This is, and you give a defense. You explain how Jesus has impacted you. That is the thing. That is the most obvious part of that sentence. But there's an unobvious part that is also there. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Here's the question. Are you living in such a way that they will ask you what's different about you? Nobody runs up to a random person, person and goes, tell me about Jesus. But if they see something different about you, how you live and what you do, by the way, how you deal with the unfairness of life, they will ask you that question. So one part is be ready, but the other part is live in such a way that they ask. Live a life in which they go, what is different about you? When Alan bought me this mug, listen, Alan did not just walk into Dallas and buy a mug just because he thought, oh, Jeff, always buy a Jeff a Dallas mug. I think I've lived in such a way that he knows that I like the Dallas Cowboys. Does that make sense? I gave him enough clues in the things I've said that this would be a good gift to give to me. Does that make sense? This was not like he just bought a random mug and hoped I liked the Dallas Cowboys. He was in Dallas in a store and said, oh, I think Jeff would like this mug. I wonder why. Does that make sense? Live in such a way that the things that you do, people go, I, if I want to talk about someone about, about faith, I go and talk to you. I go and talk to them because they're living in such a way. Live in such a way that they ask you the question. Live in such a way that they're going, what's different about you? Live in such a way they go, can you tell me why you have joy when everybody else is sad? Can you tell me how you're able to push through when it's so hard? Can you tell me how you're able to get up when, I, when all I feel like is staying down? And then be prepared to give defense. You are to be salt and you are to be light. But this... Next part, I want to do a whole sermon on this last line. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. By the way, we don't live in a world right now where people are doing things with gentleness and respect. There's a lot of people yelling at each other. I don't believe that people get bullhorned into loving Jesus. I, I struggle I struggle with a guy who stands on a corner with a bullhorn telling people they're going to go to hell because I don't think that comes with gentleness and respect. We need to earn the right to be able to speak into people's lives and have them that. And by the way, Facebook typically is not a good place where people are handling things with gentleness and respect. By the way, and a lot of it is coming from the Christian side of the world. The way the Christians are handling things, I, I, I get sickened most of the time. Because we're not loving people. There's a lot of yelling with bullhorns at the end of your fingertips. How do we come so that they ask us what's different about us? Not how do we yell at them how we think we're right. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile you, I'm revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I'm going to tell you how I wish. I'm going to give you the, what they call the, 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 the JV, the Jeff version. I wish this is how this read. 
having a good conscience so that if you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. But that's not what it says. It says, having a good conscience so that what? When you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So you need to know this. It's interesting how, how the concept is, how they revile your good behavior. I'm blown away that as we do the right thing, there are those who will attack us for doing the right thing. It just comes, folks. They will revile us for our good behavior. You could be a part of a company that wants to cut corners and, and do things the wrong way so they can help their bottom line, and you say, no, I'm not going to do that, and then you get attacked for doing the right you can be around people that want to do things that would be wrong or evil, and you say no, and they say, wait a minute, who are you, right? Who are you? And you get reviled for doing the right thing. But it's what makes us different than the rest of the world. It's what gives us a stance to say that there's something different about this process. How are we reviled for doing a good thing? The next section is going to be a little bit PG-13. I just need to let you know that. There's an organization out there, some of you know of them, some of you don't, called TripleXChurch.com. Triple X, yes, does deal with the adult film industry. It was a ministry started by two guys, Mike Foster and Craig Gross. Craig Gross is still the president of TripleXChurch.com. God laid upon their hearts to go into uh, the porn industry and try to be a light into that situation. So they started a website called TripleXChurch.com, and the first thing they did is they went to a porn convention. Their purpose was to go in and to just be a light in that scenario. By the way, they did appropriately. They had their wives walk them in. They looked down at the floor. Their wives walked them to their booth. They stayed at their booth all day, and then their wives walked them out of that booth. Does that make sense? They tried to protect their hearts. They tried to protect who they were. But their goal was to try to love those in that industry to say that Jesus loves you. They actually had Bibles printed up that says Jesus loves porn stars. Because, by the way, if you don't know that, he does. And he doesn't want them to stay porn stars, but he does love them. And so they've had a ministry for years that has been reaching into, can I tell you, hundreds and hundreds of young girls have been be able to get out of the porn industry because of triplexchurch.com. But I want you to know they were attacked greatly when they first started. They were reviled for doing good works. There's another part of the story that goes like this, though. There is a very famous porn actor by the name of Ron Jeremy. Ron Jeremy has been known for years. Ron Jeremy has crossed over, and he actually is in Hollywood quite a bit. Craig Gross and Ron Jeremy started a tour where they would tour colleges all over the United States with the purpose of debating pornography in modern-day world. And so they would go, and Craig would be on one side, and Ron Jeremy the other side, and they would have a debate, and this would happen over and over again. Craig started loving on Ron Jeremy, uh, started just letting him know that he cared for him. They would debate, they would debate. Probably about five years ago, don't quote me on that, about five years ago, Ron had a heart attack. Ron had to have surgery. The person that brought Ron Jeremy home from the hospital was Craig Gross. And Ron stayed with Craig while he recovered from his heart attack. Last year, Ron Jeremy went to Thanksgiving at Craig Gross's house. 
Craig's been reviled for his good behavior because Craig Gross sees Ron Jeremy in his 8 to 15. Now, Ron's still defending pornography and doing all those things, but he knows that he is loved. By the way, none of his producers, none of his porn star friends came to visit him in the hospital. The only one that came to visit him when he was in the hospital was the staff of triplexchurch.com. Folks, here's the deal. We are to be in this world. I'll show you what I mean by that. This is Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That word sinners, you might as well just translate that prostitutes. Yet wisdom is justified by our deeds. Jesus came and went to the lowest of the lows. I do believe that Jesus would have went to the porn convention. Because Jesus went to the tax collectors. No one hung out with the tax collectors. And no one hung out with the prostitutes. But Jesus did to the point, listen to me, to the point that they started calling him a glutton and a drunkard. Do I believe that Jesus was a glutton? No, I do not. Do I believe that Jesus was a drunkard? No, I do not. What they did was, is they looked at the people he was around and they gave him a title. Well, he must be. He must be this. Because of who he's with. Jesus didn't care what people said. He, by the way, was being reviled for his good behavior. Jesus was reviled for his good behavior. Jesus went to those who, by the way, were broken and said, I'm going to be with you. I need to understand, God has called us to go into their midst and be salt and light. By the way, we need to be smart. If you have trouble with alcohol, I am not asking you to go back into the bar where you could be tempted. You need to be strong. You need to have support. You need to be wise when you do these things. But we need to go back into this world because Jesus went to where people were hurting and didn't care what the propaganda was about him or what was said about him. He did the right thing even though other people were going to say whatever they were going to say. As you go, and maybe you befriend the person that no one else at the office will befriend, or you go to the person that no one else talks to, God's saying, look, maybe people won't get it. It doesn't matter. Do good behavior. To make this point even farther, this is 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10. I wrote you in a letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people. I wrote you in a letter to not to associate with sexually immoral people. Listen, there's a part of us that it's like, it would be so much easier if we could just as Christians go to a commune where all Christians and we all believe the same things, right? That's safer and it's easier and we don't have to interact with the world. That is not Jesus' plan. I wrote you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy, or the swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to what? Go out of the world. God has called us to be in their midst. In their midst. Do you know what this passage goes on to talk about? Who I don't associate with is the sexually immoral who are calling themselves believers in Jesus Christ. That's who I don't associate with. I don't give them voice. 
if they're going to come along and still be sexually immoral and call themselves followers. I don't have time to be with you because I'm not going to let you, that association come after who I am as a follower. But I am to be in the midst of those who are struggling. I am to be in their world. I am to be light and I am to be salt. Titus 2, 7 through 8. Titus 2, 7 through 8. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and, in, and dignity. Right? In all your, this is, listen, in all respects to be a model of good works. How you live, let them see you. Let them, let you be different than the rest of the world. And sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. And sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame. One of the things that happens is, is that honestly, it's sad when we as Christians give other people clubs to beat the church with. How we act gives clubs to beat the church with. And we hear it all the time. Oh, I'd go to church if it wasn't for all the hypocrites. Well, by the way, we're all hypocrites. But don't make it easier for them by giving them the clubs to beat us with. How do we watch our speech? How do we put on that full armor, walk into those jobs, and understand that we should be praying for, looking after, how do we love them? 1 Corinthians 19 through 23. This is Paul speaking. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. He goes, I know I'm free, but I've decided to serve all these other people. That I might win more of them. Not all of them, more of them. My goal is that as many as I can take with me, I'm going to grab. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Listen to this. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might win some. I come into the situation, I realize who these people, and I try to come to their level and be this light and salt in their world. Tim talked about when he was going to his brother's Monday night football games, he was with them. Listen, if I go to a Monday night football game, I don't come and say, okay, I'm just going to keep reading scriptures while you guys watch the TV screen. No, I come in with them and I sit with them and I enjoy the game. But maybe by what I don't say or what I, the joke I don't tell or the idea of the conversations that I do have, I begin to become salt and light into that situation. My goal is to become what they need me to become that I might win some. I don't, by the way, I don't ever compromise who I am as a follower, but I also don't come in and try to say, well, listen, when you guys all become to church, then I'll be your friends. No, I come to where you are. I've said this many times. It is, I, I love the title of pastor. I love being a pastor. I love that God gives me the, I'm humbled that he allows me to do what I do. But there's so many times where I've been with people after they've dropped the F-bomb a hundred times and, and I'm going, please don't ask me what I do. Please don't ask me what I do because it's just about to get awkward. And they'll be like, oh, so what do you do? Ah, I'm a pastor. Oh, well, you know, well, the reason I can go to church, and they give me all the reasons they don't go to church. I want to love them because here's the thing. 
They're doing exactly what they should be doing until they come to Jesus Christ. They're living their life. They don't know Jesus. They're not responsible for all the rules that come with following Christ. But how do I come to them and love them and be that light? But why do I become all things that I might win some? Verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in, his, in its blessings. My desire in, in being salt and light, by, by being in their midst, by, by loving them where they are, by living amongst them, is that I get to share in the blessings of the gospel with them. I get to share in the blessings of the gospel with them. This is what we're asking you to do. Acknowledge who God has put in your life, and then what do they need from you? Do they see someone to sit with them? Do they need someone to talk with? Do they need someone to do a project with? Do they need someone to do stuff? But in that time, be salt and light. Watch your language. Watch what you do. Be different. And when they ask you, what's different about you? Be ready to give an answer. Be ready to give an answer. Because this is what we're called to do. Again, 90% of the people who come to Christ don't come because of a sermon. They come because someone shared Jesus with them. And they shared Jesus with them by sharing their life. That's what we are asking for you to do. This rock will become important in a couple of weeks, but we're asking for you to understand that if you're a discipler, you're taking on the attitude of how do I become someone who lives in their midst? And in doing so, with gentleness and respect, lives a life that they go, I want what you have. Can you tell me about it? Can we journey through together with it? But you are to live. Get out there. Be in their midst. Rub shoulders. And don't back away that you're a child of God. You're their hope. Not you. The message inside of you. That's their hope. Share it with them. That's our prayer for you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father. We're coming to this section, God, and we're asking for you to help us to step into those places in the midst of a world that is broken and twisted and crooked that they can have, Father, a life that is true and is real. I know we're scared. We feel like we're bad ambassadors, but you said you will use us if we will cling to your word. You will use us in our faility if we will just give ourselves over to you. So, Father, be with us. Be with our women as they come back from the Winds Retreat. Would you bless them as they come back to their families? And, Father, would you be with us as we move forward as a church? I pray all these things in the name of your Son. Amen.